Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the call that you have for us to be overcomers. And Father, we pray that we would experience victory in Christ, that we would have total transformation in our lives, and that we would be changed from within. Not just uh, changing the outward acts, but literally that we would have the uh, born-again experience in Christ, that we would be totally new creatures, that we would, the old would pass away, that all things would become new. So we pray for these things in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 21, verse 6 and 7, and, and he said unto me, it is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who thirsts, I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely. It says, he who overcomes will inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Now, in this passage in Revelation chapter 21, we look at God's last day people, and it specifically refers to them as those that overcome. The ones who overcome, they're going to be the ones who inherit all things. But notice that there is kind of a, a prerequisite to overcoming, something that must take place in an individual in order to become an overcomer. It says here, to him who thirsts. One of the very important aspects of overcoming is that we have to have a desire. We have to actually have a, a thirst to be transformed, to be changed. I know that when I first began to smoke, uh, I had no desire to change. I remember sitting down on a park bench uh, at, you know, just it was called J.C.'s Park in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and some guy walked by me and a friend of, um, a friend of, of myself and myself were sitting down on a bench and some guy walked by and he said, hey guys, quit while you can. And I thought, whatever, you know, I'll never get stuck doing this. And to me, I didn't have any desire to quit at that time, so there was no chance I was going to quit, at least at the present point. But those who are going to overcome, first of all, must have that desire to overcome. And we're talking about, first of all, some of the necessities, the prerequisites to overcoming. Number one, you uh, well, some of the things to specifically overcome are chronic stress. We're going to be talking about the fact that there are different kinds of stress. There is a beneficial kind of stress that actually helps your immune system, but then there's a form of stress that actually uh, deteriorates or breaks down your the processes of your body. So we want to overcome chronic stress. Number two, we want to overcome anger, lack of forgiveness, or judgmental thoughts. We're going to devote almost the entirety of one message to how, to how to overcome in the area of forgiveness, how to be able to forgive. And for some, how to actually even ask for forgiveness, maybe. But for many of us, it's learning how to give true forgiveness and to overcome the judgmental thoughts. Number three, uh, things to overcome are things like eating disorders or, you know, repetitively eating unhealthy food. Many people, even within the church, struggle with things like eating disorders. Nobody may, you know, no one around you may know. You're very good at hiding it. But sometimes people, to try to gain strength in their life, you know, struggle with eating disorders, things like this. We want to learn to overcome these things. Things to overcome also are things like addiction, smoking, drinking, drugs, pornography, and lust television, gambling, or fill-in-the-blank. So these are just some, for the fill-in-the-blank, you may say, oh, I don't see anything. I mean, all of us probably struggle with stress at certain times, but there may be something that may not be on this list, but you may struggle with something, and for you, that's what you are struggling with. Now, I'm going to tell you, you do not need to, in this seminar, we tell people who come to the seminar, we're not asking everybody to confess their sins in front of everybody. You don't, the, we're told in, well, specifically in the spirit of prophecy, that secret sins are to be confessed secretly to God, and public sins are, meaning if I yell at you, I get angry with all of you, then I should publicly confess on. I'm sorry for doing this to you. So secret sins are to be confessed secretly. Sometimes people get confused about these things and they want to just blurt out all their sins. Some people just kind of think of it as a noble thing to just let out all your sins in front of the public or in church or these things. Now there are times where we're giving a testimony, but it is not necessary to, you know, divulge all the sinful thoughts that go on in the human mind. Actually, it can bring things down to a common level. And so we're not called to do that. But so this is for you, this is a personal thing. Now, uh, this is the basic tenor of the entire seminar that we share. 
Um, we many times do this before non, you know, folks who are not of our church. So we don't necessarily, we just read the quote, but this is a, you know, quote from Spirit of Prophecy. Many of you have probably heard it already. It says, never forget that thoughts work out what? Actions, repeated actions form habits and habits form what? Character. And people love this. I mean, it's such a powerful thought. It's so simple, and yet it's one simple sentence that never forget. This is who you are. Your thoughts work out your actions. Your repeated actions form your habits, and your habits form your character. The essence of who you are is your character. And so many times people try to change their, they try to change their bad habits, or they try to change a bad characteristic of who they are. And while they're trying to change it, they seem to stumble back into their bad habits, or into the bad actions. And they think, why can't I change. The reality is if you try to change your character and you try to change your habits, uh, you're finding your actions aren't changing because something hasn't changed. Your thoughts have not been changed. So our thoughts, if we're going to be changed, and the Bible kind of talks about this. Uh, Jesus said in John chapter 3, verses 6 and 7, he said, um, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. He said, marvel not that I said unto you, you must be born again. Jesus said you have to be born again. And to be born again, see, listen, then John, or rather Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8, he tells us there in verse 6, 7, and 8, he tells us that that which is after the flesh, those who are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. And they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. So naturally, by nature, you are born and your thoughts are of things of the flesh, of the body. But we're told by Jesus that you need to be born again so that your thoughts are totally changed. Instead of being about things of the flesh, that your thoughts become things of the spirit. Now, I'm being a little more spiritual than I would be to the general public, but the same principles are brought up across to these folks also. So our thoughts have to be changed. They need to go from earthly thoughts. We need to be born again so that we are totally changed by the Word of God. We are transformed in our lifestyle so that now we have new thoughts, and those new thoughts will cause new actions, new habits, and we will have a new character. And as you may know, that character determines destiny. Now, this is powerful. Uh, Dr. David Burns from the University of Pennsylvania School of Medicine shares this validating scientific discovery. Your feelings are created by your what? Thoughts. Your feelings are created by your thoughts and not the actual events. Many times we feel that, that I have feelings because of what happens around me. I have feelings because I'm in a stressful situation. I have feelings because my dad is this way or my mom is this way or my sister or somebody is this way, my boss. And so I have feelings because of these things, but that's not true. You actually have feelings because of the thoughts you choose to think about that situation, right? So all experience must be processed through your brain and given a conscious meaning before you experience an emotional response. And so we go on here. It says, the moment you have a certain thought and believe it, you will experience an immediate emotional response. Your your thoughts actually create the emotion. Your thoughts create the emotion. So what that means is this. A lot of times we just think, oh, I can't help it. These are the emotions that I have. There's nothing I can do about it. But the reality is it's the thoughts that you have that you allow to go through your mind that create the emotional response that takes place inside of you. So the negative feelings that you have are created based upon the thoughts you choose or allow to think. So we're going to go forward. Now, every time you have an angry thought, an unkind thought, a sad thought, or a cranky thought, your brain releases chemicals that make your body feel bad. Every time you have a good thought, a happy thought, a hopeful thought, or a kind thought, your brain releases chemicals that make your body feel good. So that's why we are, we are to guard the avenues to the soul. And one of the greatest avenues, obviously we have our eyes, we have our ears, we have our skin and so forth. But we have to choose, we have to think about, we have to decide what, will we, will, what we will allow to go through our minds and what we will choose to think about. So very important. We're going to talk more about this as we go on. Now, Eldon Chalmers, in his book, uh, Healing the Broken Brain, uh, seconds this awesome reality. He says he, uh, in his book, oh, and speaking about overcoming depression, anxiety, panic disorders, and so forth, means developing a new set of healing habits. So if we're going to be changed, we have to have new habits. And what do the habits come from? They come from actions, and the actions come from what? 
They come from thoughts. So we need to have new thoughts that will change our habits. They will change our life. That's right. The Bible talks about the renewing of the mind. That's absolutely right. Now, for some reason, my clicker is not really doing the trick right here. Let's see what we can do. All right, I guess I'll just go over here and push it. Actually, yeah, and that's perfect. That's the next uh, text there is Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Exactly what the lady in the third row back was sharing with us. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, Be transformed by the renewing of your what? Mind. So if you want to be transformed, we want to change our habits. We want to change our character. But if you're going to be changed, you have to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And Isaiah 26, verse 3 says, You will keep him in perfect peace who's what? Mind is stayed on you. Now, peace is, well, it's one of the gifts of the Spirit, or one of the fruits of the Spirit, right? But it's also a, a form of uh, emotional. It's, it's an emotion too, right? To be at peace is emotional. Well, what causes your emotions? Your thoughts, right? Very interesting. So having our minds stayed upon God, and I'm, let me come back here again. Let me try one thing real quick. There we go. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Forgive me all. Uh, anybody, anybody ever heard of Phineas Gage? You know who Phineas Gage is? All right, maybe you could all come up and tell the story. Would you like to do that? Okay, all right, well, I'll tell you about it. It's a powerful story. Some of you don't know about Phineas. Phineas Gage was a railroad worker in Vermont uh, roughly 100 years ago. I don't remember the exact dates. Powerful story, though. And he was a, the foreman of a railroad crew. So, obviously, a foreman has to have uh, foresight. He has to be able to kind of look into the future, not, you know, like a prophet, but to think about what do we need to do today? What do we need to accomplish in the next week and so forth? He was very respected. He was well-liked by his fellow workers. And then came this amazing day where what was happening was he was taking what's called a tamping iron, which is like a three-foot, you'll see a picture of it, a three-foot piece of metal large rod, and what they would do is they drill a hole, bore into the rock, they would dump some, I don't know, something like gunpowder or whatever it is, into there, some explosive powder, they would put sand on top of it, they would use the tamping iron to pack it down a little bit, and they would have some kind of fuse or whatever, and they would explode, you know, the rock there so that they could prepare the way for the train track that they were going to lay, to lay down there. And so what happened was this particular day, Phineas is going about his work and he's tamping there. And as he does, somehow, some way, it ignites. And the rod that he is pushing down, it, it shoots through like a missile, literally. It hits him in the bottom of his cheek and blows out the top of his skull and the front portion of his brain. And this here, the top part here is the frontal lobe, the front portion. If you're, you're looking down on someone who's sleeping, you can imagine, and this, their face is up, and this is the top part of their head, and this is the frontal lobe there. And as it was hit, you know, it exploded and it blew out. He had an accidental frontal lobotomy, literally. Just like that within a split second. But within seconds, Phineas was able to walk and talk. He was able to get up from the incident. It literally burst through. It didn't get stuck in his head like this. It literally just sailed through, I don't know, like 100 feet or something. It just kept sailing through the air, literally like a missile, blew through his skull, took out part of his... He actually lost his uh, left eye there. And, or, yeah, left eye there. And, it, you know, so he was blind in that particular eye. But he could literally, within minutes, he was telling people the story. And people could, weren't even believing him. They're like, no, what? that couldn't have happened. And he, he, anybody who would listen, he would tell the story. And this was within minutes of the accident. And so he's sitting around. And this is kind of the story. He was a foreman of a railroad crew, faithful husband and father, well-liked by his fellow workers, and a religious man. Um, which there's, there's some kind of question of whether he was married before that or not, but that's not the point. The point was he was a faithful man. He was in regular church attendance, and, uh, you know, until that crazy accident that took place, they took some time. He had a lot of, uh, you can imagine, the pus and all kinds of nastiness slowly. They didn't have a lot of, you know, the scientific things we would have to clean it in the same way, so they just did their best. But after the accident, something about Phineas changed. He would become very emotional and angry about things. And some of you might be thinking, you might become a little emotional and angry if a rod blew through your skull, right? <laughs> but I think it's something more than that. Something more than that changed about Phineas. He lost his interest in church and spirituality. He became irreverent and prone to excessive profanity. This wasn't him before the accident. He lost all respect for social customs and became very irresponsible. He went from a prized employee to the unemployment rules. Actually, when he healed, his job took him right back and put him in as a foreman. 
but he totally, he just couldn't do it. Now, his mental faculties were there, meaning he was still an intelligent man, but his character had changed such as that he was not able to hold his position there anymore on the railroad crew. He ended up forsaking his wife and family, and he joined a traveling circus. This is an actual picture of Phineas here, and this is the actual rod that blew through his skull. You can see the one eye is closed because he is blind in that eye uh, at that particular time period after the accident. So it's a massive rod, blew through his cheek, blew out the top of his skull. What changed about Phineas was his character. Not his intellect, but his character changed because of a loss of the frontal lobe. And this began to give doctors the idea of what takes place in the human frontal lobe. Now, neuroscientist David Barta, Brown University in Providence, Rhode Island, said the brain's frontal lobes, which sit behind the forehead, allow us to use what we know about the world to guide our decision-making. The frontal lobe is your decision-making center. It's the place that, you know, should I do this, should I not? That takes place in the frontal lobe. And scientific studies reveal that the frontal lobe is the seat of spirituality, morality, and the will. This is, this is kind of the religious center of the brain, the good and bad, the decision-making center of the brain. And Phineas, when he lost that, he lost much of those things, his will, his morality, and his spirituality. These things were lost. Now, in this seminar, we have to have a few essentials to overcome. Now, number one, we talked about we need a desire to overcome. If, if you don't have that, sometimes people ask us, hey, can you get my son to come? He's struggling with alcohol or whatever. Can you get him to come? And what I say is, listen, if, if he has a desire, it's fantastic. We'd love to have him come. But if he has no desire whatsoever, there's very little that can be done for them. And until someone has a desire to change, the, the best thing you can do for someone is just pray for them. You can just pray. But the reality is you can't make somebody overcome by going to a seminar. They have to first have that desire to overcome. And number two, you have to have an open mind. Now, I'm not asking you to have an open mind that's so open that you've heard it, you know, your brain, you know, your brain falls out. Not that. We're talking about just having an open mind that is saying, you know, well, if I'm one, what I'm doing right now isn't working, maybe I need to maybe try something else. And so, uh, but obviously we want to be in confines of, you know, within the biblical construct and so forth. But uh, I'll give you a quick example. We had a fellow come to our meetings and, uh, you know, everybody feels like, oh, I'm different. And we are all, we're all different. But our bodies were designed by the same creator. And this particular fellow said, I'm different from regular people. I don't need to drink water at all. He said, I'll go days on end without drinking anything. I don't drink anything. I get all the water necessary from my food. Well, that's kind of interesting. But he also shared with us that, that he has terrible, terrible, uh, what do you call it? GERD, what is that? That's a gastrointestinal relief. Yeah, but they're, yeah, acid reflux, acid reflux. Like, uh, what's a simple word for it? Heartburn, that's what I'm looking for, right? He had heartburn, and he had terrible heartburn. And you know one of the things that causes heartburn? Dehydration. You know what helps get rid of dehydration? Drinking, right? But he wasn't willing to do it because he's different from everybody else. He doesn't need water. And so I want to encourage you to have an open mind about simple health principles, okay? Some simple things may seem so simple that you think, come on, that can't help my... I have all kinds of drugs that are fixing my problem, and they're not fixing it. You think water would do it? And I think the answer is yes. Water would have probably fixed the problem. But the point is, is we have to have a simple open mind, not to crazy things, but to simple principles that God has given us in his word. Now my water, my wife, not my water, my wife is going to come up and she is going to give us a little disclaimer before we go any further. Our disclaimer is simple and you'll understand as we go along here why we, we say this is uh, that we're not your doctors. We're just here to share a few health principles with you, but we're not here to prescribe um, things as your doctor would. So um, if you're under your, the care of your doctor, continue to be so. If you um, have some questions, we'd you know, love to answer them just from our perspective. But again, just be under the care of your doctor. And um, also, normally we do this program over a whole week, at least five or six days. But because we're only here for a weekend, it's you're going to get everything in two days. So um, with that said, you can glean what you can from this program while we're doing it and then uh, go home and try it. That, that would be my 
uh, the best advice I could give you right now is is go home and try it if you if you feel impressed to do so. So let's continue on with the thoughts that Chad had about the frontal lobe. The frontal lobe. What does the Bible say about the frontal lobe? Revelation 14 verse 1 it says, And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion, and with him 144,000 having what? Father's name written where? In the forehead. Isn't that interesting? And what's in your forehead? The frontal lobe. We just learned that right behind that forehead is the frontal lobe. And what does God want to put in our frontal lobe? His name, the Father's name. What does name normally uh, mean in the Bible? Identity? Character? Who you are? Right. Uh, you know, you always hear people say, like, let's say there's some business in town, and, and what do they usually say? They say, they have a good name, right? What does that mean? A good reputation, right? A good, uh, you know, they do quality work. They have a good name. So also through the Bible, we see that when somebody's character changed, they would get a name change as well, right? What are some examples? Jacob, right? Abraham and Sarah and Saul became Paul, right? So when there's a character change, uh, there's a name change. And so we see here that there's, there's something there, right? Uh, one that's really interesting that has to do a lot with our overcoming seminar is Jacob. What does Jacob mean? Supplanter, right? Um, I, I speak Aramaic, and in Aramaic, Jacob, Jacob is like the same word as your heel, you know, your heel, and he was a heel grabber, right? Remember right from the womb, he was grabbing his brother's heel, and that's like you trip somebody up. You know, when you grab their heel, you're tripping them up, you're tricking them, and so that was in his character, that he was a deceiver, right? And when he, when he wrestled with the Lord, and... Um, Actually, prior to that, when when uh, the when he slept on the rock, you know, and then he he uh, had that encounter with the Lord. What what was his name changed to? Israel. What does Israel mean? Overcomer. Interesting, huh? The deceiver uh, overcame, and his name became overcomer. And we're told that to those who overcome, right, over and over in Revelation, to those who overcome will inherit all things, will inherit, um, will have right to the tree of life, you know, so on and so forth. So we see here that um, Jacob, when he overcame, I mean, when he wrestled with the Lord, he overcame and his name was changed. And God wants to put that name, that character in our foreheads. But what character in particular is he wanting to put into our minds? Whose character is he wanting to put into our minds? Christ's, right? Jesus. So that the same mind, remember, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He wants to put that mind in our minds so that when we're dealing with one another, right, when we're uh, going and interacting with people, we would do as Jesus would do, right? When he was preaching and the Pharisees would come in and start interrupting and, and saying things and, and accusing him, how did he feel about them? How did he think about them, right? How did he treat them? Um, the prostitutes, what did he do with them, you know? How did he treat them, the, the drinkers and the tax collectors and all these people? What kind of attitude did he have towards them? Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. That's the name that God wants to put in our foreheads, in our frontal lobes. So that's, that's the basis of what we're doing here. Remember, because thoughts work out actions, repeated actions form habits, and habits form character. And so we have to go back to the thoughts, and that's where God is working. That's where the battle is. In the end, this is, this is all that's going to be happening, is that battle between good and evil is all right here, right? We may try to change our habits and things like that, but ultimately this is where it's happening. What are some things that um, could be a detriment to our frontal lobes? What do you guys think? Can you think of anything that could destroy your frontal lobe? Alcohol? 
What's that? <laughs> Railroad construction, that's right. <laughs> well, here's, here's a few. Drugs, lack of use, okay? Lack of use. If we don't exercise uh, using that frontal lobe in, in uh, all types of situations, stressful situations, whatever it be, uh, we're not growing in that area, right? We're actually dwarfing our brains when we don't actively use them to make decisions, to even make mistakes and learn from them, right? Sometimes we're so afraid to make a decision, we don't make anything at all, right? We don't make any decisions at all. But it's, it's better to learn and use that frontal lobe. Or um, Chad will talk some about Bible memorization. And uh, there was a woman in her 90s and she felt like her mind was slipping and so she or her memory was slipping and she decided to memorize the book of revelation 90 years old that's powerful huh so um lack of use is a frontal lobe killer certain kinds of music can affect the frontal lobe um head injuries of course like we said the railroad thing but also um, nowadays, we realize that uh, adrenaline junkies is a really popular thing, you know? We get so excited about doing these exciting things uh, that we forget to protect ourselves. And people go out and do things without putting a helmet on or maybe doing things that are just plain too dangerous, you know? And uh, we need to protect these bodies and especially the mind. So... Um, Try as much as possible to, to uh, keep yourself from head injuries. Then also lack of nutrition. And this is something that we um, in the States assume that we are very uh, good in. You know, we don't lack any nutrition. But as far as the brain is concerned, we'll, we're going to learn some things this week or these next few days about nutrition. So let's go on. What does the Bible say? We're going to study this a little bit here in Mark chapter 9. And now um, I'm just going to pull a few things out of this passage that uh, we can apply to what we're doing here. Maybe not every single part we can apply, but we can apply a, a few concepts. What's going on here in Mark chapter 9, uh, starting in verse 20, is that remember when Jesus went up to um, the mount? with three of his disciples, and we call it the Mount of Transfiguration. And when they were up there, the other disciples were down in the valley and getting a little jealous. And um, because they weren't up there in the mountain with Jesus, you know, and who's the greatest? That All that started happening, right? And so he, while they're up there down in the valley, comes this man with his, with his son, and uh, the disciples can't heal him. And the Pharisees and the scribes are there uh, accusing and saying, how come you can't heal? How come you do this, that, and the other? And so then finally Jesus comes on the scene. Amen. <laughs> he comes on the scene. And here it starts. And they brought him, the young man, unto Jesus. And when he saw him, straightway the spirit tear him. And he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming. And he asked his father, how long ago is it since this came unto him? So he, Jesus asked the father, how long has it been since this, this uh, young man's been doing this? The father said, of a child. And oft times it hath cast him into the fire and into waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said unto him, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. So you realize that in this situation, this young man had, uh, or this, this child or young, I'm not sure how old he is, but uh, of course it's been for a while since he was a child. So maybe he's a young man here. Um, he had uncontrollable habits, okay? And he had a destructive lifestyle, right? Throw himself into the fire, do all these kinds of things. But he also had a family and community that cared about him. And all of us sometimes could relate to some of these things, and maybe we have some habits in our lives that have been with us for many years, right? But we have people that care about us, like this uh, father that came to get help. Let's continue with this story. In uh, Mark chapter 9, 
8 and 29 now, and he, and when he was come into the house as Jesus, his disciples asked him privately, why could not we cast him out? And he said unto them, this kind can come forth by nothing, but by prayer and fasting. And so you realize here that there's this young man that had, he's pretty, he's demon possessed and he's got habits that have been with him for a long time and he can't shake them and nor can those around him. And so when Jesus finally comes, who's filled with the Holy Spirit, he's able to do it. And then they ask, well, how come we couldn't do it? And what did Jesus tell them? These things can come, but by prayer and fasting. And so sometimes when we have these things in our lives that we can't shake, that we can't just get rid of, it just keeps coming back. We need to do what Jesus said by prayer and fasting. Sure, the, little, the, the young man wasn't the one that did the prayer and fasting, right? But we can apply that to ourselves as well. If we are struggling with something, or maybe if someone in our lives is struggling with something, we could do the prayer and fasting for them as well. But even for ourselves, if we've really been struggling with something and we want help, we could do the prayer and fasting for ourselves. So with that said, this is the part of the program where um, you become active. <laughs> okay, and here, here it goes. I'll start to explain what we do. Um, what goes on in the liver? Can anyone tell me what goes on in the liver? Dissolves grease. <laughs> Cleans the blood. Okay. You know what else the liver does? It, it uh, stores extra glucose, um, which then is called glycogen. And do you know why it stores extra glucose? When we're fasting? Between meals? Yep. And then also, um, you know when you're having to do something, you know, the fight or flight, when, when an, a situation comes at you and you have to act quickly and those muscles get kicked into gear and, and all the stress hormones come in, uh, what's giving you that extra boost in energy? It's that liver. The liver kicks in and it starts to release the glucose to go to the muscles and, and so you can have that extra energy to go out there and do what you need to do, right? And so that's what, that's what it does. It starts to release that that uh, glycogen for you and like you said when you're fasting okay so when you're fasting and you stop the input input of food um, what's going to help you keep going as far as energy is concerned is that liver right that liver is going to start releasing the glucose but with that what else do you think is going to get released out of that liver when you're releasing the glucose toxins right because the liver stores that up it start it's fil it's a filter for all those things and uh so then it starts to release those toxins with the glucose as you're fasting so isn't it beautiful that god has given us a natural uh detox program in our fasting right does that make sense am i clear i'm not sure if everybody's getting it or not but it's just when you're fasting you're not putting in any extra food for that energy, and so then the liver has to kick in, give you that energy, but with it, it'll release the toxins. But you got to keep drinking that water to flush all those toxins out, right? So anyway, so that's what we do for the week. We start doing a fasting program or a cleanse, we call it, okay? And this is how it is. It's a modified fast slash cleanse. And it's just a natural thing. And normally we don't do a full out. We don't do a full out fast because most people aren't used to anything like that. And so we do a gradual one. And that's why it's called a modified one. So if you're a heavy alcoholic, a drug addict, or a diabetic, this is what we ask you to do for the first day. You do water, fruits, veggies, and whole grain bread for the first day. For everybody else, for the first day, you do water, 100% fruit juice, and fruit. That's what you have for the first day. And then each day, uh, when you come back, we tell you what to have for the next day. So it's like a gradual thing. Every day you get a different thing added to it. But in the meantime, you're not eating as much as you normally do, and so it's a modified fast. And so it'll start to have that effect on your body. Any questions on this? No? Okay.
So, um, and the thing is, is like I said, if, if somebody's under the care of their doctor, you have to be careful because, uh, like we said, with a diabetic, um, people normally know how they feel when their blood sugars are going up and down and they can watch them and stuff. And so you work with that. And then also if you're on some medication that you need to eat with that medication, you need to take that into consideration and talk to your doctor if you need to, if you want to do the program when you're at home. Okay, let's go on here. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So we're not our own, right? A lot of times we get discouraged because we're like, oh man, another something to do, you know. But these bodies aren't our own. They were bought with a price. And we can glorify God through these bodies, right? We, uh, people will be attracted to you because of your being. And they, they can see that there's something different about you, right? And because of that, uh, they'll inquire, what are you doing? What's so different? And, and it can be something that can glorify God through your body. Okay, I have a question. There's a super drink. And with this super drink, I'm going to ask you, what do you think it is? It can increase energy and endurance, prevent kidney stones, aid digestion and elimination, regulate the body's temperature, and bring about a feeling of well-being. Yet very few of us consume as much as we should. You got it. It's water. That's right. It is a super drink. It's God's beverage, and you can't improve on God's beverage, right? doesn't matter what kind of drinks they come out, smart water and all this other kind of stuff. I don't know what they all call these different waters, but um, you can't improve on God's natural beverage. It, it does all these things and much more, right? Well, let's hear. Have you guys heard about, I um, can't say his name, but it's like Faradun B, okay? Dr. B is what we'll call him. And uh, the book is called Your, Your, uh, Body, Your Body's Many Cries for Water. Okay. When the Iranian Revolution broke out in 1979, Dr. B was placed in the infamous Evine prison as a political prisoner for two years and seven months. It was there he discovered the healing powers of water. One night, Dr. B had to treat a fellow prisoner with crippling peptic ulcer pain. With no medications at his disposal, Dr. B gave him two glasses of water. Within eight minutes, the pain disappeared. He was instructed to drink two glasses of water every three hours and became absolutely pain-free for his four remaining months in the prison. Dr. B successfully treated 3,000 fellow prisoners suffering from stress-induced peptic ulcer disease with water alone. While in prison, he conducted extensive research into the medical medicinal effects of water in preventing and relieving many painful degenerative diseases. Evine proved an ideal stress laboratory, and despite his being offered an earlier release, Dr. B chose to stay an extra four months in prison to complete his research into the relationship of dehydration and bleeding peptic ulcer disease. The report of his findings was published as the editorial of the Journal of Clinical Gastroenterology in June 1983. The New York Times Science Watch reported this discovery on June 21, 1983. And you can find all this stuff at watercure.com. Um, on his release from prison in 1982, Dr. B escaped from Iran and came to America. At the Foundation of, for the Simple in Medicine, he began to research the effect of chronic, unintentional dehydration on the human body. His findings were published in the Foundation's Journal of Science and Medicine Simplified in 91 and 92. And like I said, they can be found on watercure.com. Dr. B wrote his first book, Your Body's Many Cries for Water, in 92, in which he stated that a dry mouth is not a reliable indicator of dehydration. A what? A dry mouth is not a reliable indicator of dehydration. The body signals its water shortage by producing pain. Dehydration actually produces pain in many degenerative diseases, including asthma, arthritis, hypertension, angina, adult-onset diabetes, lupus, and multiple sclerosis. Interesting, huh? All from water. 
Um, I know I, I get it. Like when we're on the road a lot, which we are, sometimes you don't always want to drink because what do you have to do then? <laughs> Stop and go to the bathroom. But my joints start to ache after a while. One, because you're sitting for so long. And two, because I'm getting dehydrated. Even if I don't feel it in the in my throat yet that I'm dehydrated, I start to feel it because I'm dehydrated and I'm sitting there. And so there's not a lot of, you know, movement. Um, so I really, I, I believe that a lot of things are due to us not getting enough water, you know. Um, some benefits of drinking water is lowers blood pressure. I know a lot of times if you have high blood pressure and you're on these medications, what do the doctors tell you? You get a restricted intake of, of fluids because you're on these medications because it messes up, but it's just not the right thing to do. If, uh, for example, let's say a water hose, uh, if you get less water going through it and you put your thumb on it, you know, to, what do you call it, to get the pressure up, you know, then you can go, you can really get it going in there, right? But if the water is just coming out, you have more in there, then it has its own pressure. You don't have to squeeze, you know, you don't have to put pressure to get it out. It already has its own because you have plenty of water flowing through it. Am I making sense? So it's the same thing. If you don't have enough fluid, what does your heart have to start doing? Increasing the pressure so that that fluid can get further, you know, because there's just not enough of it flowing around in your blood. So it actually lowers your blood pressure because it's going to have enough flow in there and your body doesn't have to, or your heart doesn't have to work as hard to get it through. So, um, for, for example, if somebody's bleeding to death, that, that's one of the things that happens. Your blood pressure goes up, your heart rate goes up, and then finally at the end, your heart, of course, your blood pressure goes down. But in the meantime, it goes up because the volume's not there, right? And so it has to, it's like looking for more. All right, we'll go on. So it helps lower your blood It elevates your mood um, due to the fact that our brain is about 85% water. Our whole body is about 70%, but our brain itself is about 85% water. So if you're going to feel uh, dehydration, that's one of the first places you're going to feel it is in your mood. It's in your thoughts, right? How you're feeling and stuff. Um, it helps detoxify the liver. And if you're doing a fast, what will go really well with it is drinking water. And it's so cool. Whenever we do this, we start to see people start picking up their bottles and drinking. <laughs> Um, so anyway, so it helps detoxify the liver, maintain or lose weight. Wow. If we're working with the body, it will do what it needs to do. Right. Uh, maintains body temperature in Albuquerque, New Mexico. We worked there for a while and, uh, at the church, there was a, a, a family of roofers and I just couldn't understand how in the middle of the summer, in the middle of the day, they would be up on top of that roof. And a lot of times, you know, it's black, the roofs are, you know, when you first put that um, layer down before you put the shingles. I just didn't understand. I was like, how do you guys make it up there? And he told me, he said, I tell my guys, when you wake up in the morning, you start drinking water. And I'm on them, and I'm on them. Drink, 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 drink. And he says, it's, it's your natural air conditioning. He said, if you, if you don't get enough water, you don't have natural air conditioning. He said, because it, the volume of water in there keeps your cells from causing friction. You know, having, having to just all be in there and clumped up, you get, you get hotter. So I was like, oh, that's a good thing to know. Uh, clear thoughts also, you know, like I said, your, your brain's about 85% water. Also with the clear thoughts, I had a friend who suffered from migraines and then he joined the military and I don't recommend you joining the military just to get rid of your migraines, but there's a, there's a reason why I'm saying this. Um, when he joined, they had him on a water regimen. Everybody did everything the same, right? And so they really, really pushed water on you. And he said his migraine, his migraines went away during that time and he realized it was just because he never drank enough water and he was always drinking coffee so um good good thing to drink your water all right let's continue on then the question comes well how much water do i drink right 
We're, we're normally told how much? Eight, eight ounce glasses. Okay, so eight, eight ounce glasses for me and for a really big guy, um, we're both supposed to have eight, eight ounce glasses. Does that make sense? No, it doesn't. It doesn't at all. So we should instead have a formula that will adjust to our different sizes, right? And here it goes. This is Dr. B's formula. This is what he says to do is to drink half your body weight in ounces. So let's say you are 200 pounds. How many ounces of water should you be drinking? 100. Sounds like a lot, doesn't it? But if you're a lot bigger than everybody else, that should be more sufficient for you, right? And this is something else he also says to do. Um, he says to add one-fourth teaspoon of sea salt to every quart, and a quart is 32 ounces. So every 32 ounces, he says, put a little salt. It doesn't have to be sea salt, but anyway, put a little salt because if you're increasing your water intake, what's going to happen to your electrolytes? They're going to get diluted. And so if they're diluted, you start to um, have the effects of low electrolytes in your body and, you know, get the muscle cramps and all the other different things. So it's good to have the, you know, it's kind of like drinking Gatorade. You know, a lot of sports people, when they exert a lot of energy, they lose a lot of the water and, and their electrolytes. So you drink Gatorade. And putting the salt in there is kind of like having Gatorade. You don't have to do that, but, you know, if, if you start feeling weak or something like that, um, just drained because of too much water drinking, you might need to put a little salt in it. And you won't taste it. You won't. Maybe if you're very sensitive to it, you might. Um, but... There's something else I was going to say, and I just lost it. Sorry. Is there something else about the salt? No. Okay. We'll just move on. Sorry. Anyway, so, uh, oh, the, about how much water. Sorry. So then a lot of times we like to, because we hear some good news, what do we like to do? Go and try it out right away, right? I want to encourage you to do it in increments. Don't go starting tomorrow uh, filling yourself up with all this kind of water and, and you're just like, oh, this is too much and all I do is go to the bathroom. Everything we should do should be in moderation, right? And working our way up. Because if we do it in increments, we're more likely to enjoy it and to see the benefits. But if we overdo it, and we think, yeah, I got to do this, I got to do that. And we overdo it and we don't see the benefits. We're more likely to just cast it away and say, who cares? Forget it, right? So it's better to, to build yourself up. Some of you may already be drinking that, right? Which is cool. Very cool. But um, just, to, just to let you know that you can work your way up to that. All right, how to overcome cravings. When you're getting the cravings, you know, you're like, wanting that chocolate or you're wanting that cigarette or you're wanting whatever it is, you know, um, or you're tempted, you're um, tempted to do something wrong or whatever the, the case may be. This is what we um, ask that you do during that time. First, start drinking your water. The water becomes your new friend, right? Um, a lot of our addictions and habits have to do with hand to mouth, if you think about it. So that neuromuscular habit you have to replace it with a good habit, right? And that's a good habit. Have that water around with you. And so every time you get a craving, pick it up, put it to the hand, hand to mouth. And there you go. It's, it'll help you overcome. And it's detoxing you at the same time. And it's a good new habit. Another thing you can do is start walking, okay? Walk, 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 walk. Whenever you're feeling stressed, you start feeling that stress coming on. Get up, remove yourself from that situation, and go out and take a little brisk walk. And you'll find that it relieves you of, of the stress of the situation. You can clear your mind. You get fresh air, sunshine, and you're moving your muscles. It is so good for us to move our muscles. This is God's natural stimulant. What did God do with Adam right away? He put him to work in the garden, right? And so right away, he put him to work in the garden because that's what we were made to do. We were made to naturally get stimulated through exercise, not through artificial stimulation. So how many of us come from farming backgrounds? Pretty good. Pretty good. We're in Montana, so that would make sense, right? But 
Um, it used to be more people were more active in that way, right? Now, how many of us spend time in front of a computer? There's a lot more hands go up, right? It's just becoming that way. We're becoming very sedentary and ourselves included. You know, we do editing and all this other stuff on the computer. And so uh, we become very sedentary and that's not what God wanted for us, right? He wanted us to stay active because that's how you naturally stimulate the blood and that's how you feel good right? You get those endorphins released and you feel good about yourself. But because we don't even feel alive, we, we, our blood's not stimulated. What do we do then? We artificially stimulate ourselves through what? Foods, uh, different kinds of activities, whatever it may be, um, drugs. We start to artificially stimulate ourselves in that way. So anyway, walk, 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 walk. That's one of the things you do when you're getting a craving or a temptation. Then also claim Bible promises and prayer. This is so important because in the long run, this is what's going to keep you. When you're feeling stressed, get that card out. Start going over the verse, praying to God. We'll talk more about this as we go along because I know we're tight on time right now. So uh, claim the promises. And then also deep breathing, which Chad is going to come up and do that for us. Now, I wonder if we should just take a break because we're quite past our time. Uh, or do you think we should actually... Uh, or do you want to just keep going? What do you think? It is... Uh, we're supposed to be done at 10.45, is that right? And it's 10.50? Um, okay, we'll do this. We'll do this quick. We'll try to just rush through something. Everybody stand up just for a moment, and this will help us get a little break anyway. Um, <clears throat> okay, now everybody ta- on a count of three, take a deep breath, okay? One, two, three. Take a deep breath. <sighs> okay, now generally what happens is many times, I see it here too, many times when we try to take a deep breath, we do something that's like this. We go, <sighs> and what we do is we take, you know, as much breath into our chest av- cavity as we can, but the reality is, is um, if you ever watch a baby breathe, where do they breathe? In their tummy, right? Uh, you're born breathing correctly. And what we do is because we start sometimes getting a little bit of a gut and we don't want anybody to see that. So what we do is we start sucking in our guts and just breathing into our chest. And that's actually shallow breathing, meaning you're not getting a full inhalation of breath into your lungs. And so we want to learn to breathe from our diaphragm. So uh, if you want to, you can sit down for a moment. If you want to feel what your diaphragm feels like, if you are a chest breather, obviously we do want to breathe into our chest also. But if you're not breathing into your diaphragm, you're not getting enough oxygen uh, to give you, you know, a sense of well-being, enough oxygen to the bodily organs and so forth. If you spread your uh, legs apart a little bit and you just put your arms between your legs um, and just bend over and you just take, if you know, you're welcome to do it if you can. It looks like you're not embarrassed and that's good. Uh, take a deep breath and do you feel it pushing right into what feels like your stomach? You feel that? Now that's your diaphragm, right? It's not the literal stomach, but that's your diaphragm. And what you want to do is if you are, some of you probably breathe correctly, but if you don't, you want to learn to breathe into your diaphragm. And once you fill up your diaphragm, you also increase, you know, the chest volume. But uh, we want to make sure that we're doing that. Now stand up again just for a moment. And Let's try taking a deep breath. And the way we're going to do it is, uh, and this has nothing to do with New Age. You can read about it in Mind, Character, and Personality. We're told that just not, sometimes people feel depressed for the simple reason that they are not receiving adequate oxygen through breathing correctly. So you feel down. You're like, why do I feel so bad? I don't, know, I don't understand it right now. And sometimes it's just because you're breathing in a shallow manner and you feel depressed. And so now we're going to try very quickly breathing. Just, And I'm going to teach you how just for a moment. This is not how you're going to breathe all the time. But we're going to breathe in slowly. And you're going to do it like you're breathing through a straw. like, And then when we breathe out, you're going to shut your teeth together like this. And you're going to stick your tongue on the top of the, right behind your teeth and go to breathe out, okay? So, and I'm going to tell you why in just a moment. But now, okay, now on the count of three, breathe in and breathe in through a straw slowly. Ready? One, two, three. Now you can breathe out. Nice and slow. Now back in. Out. 
in. Out. Okay, in. Into your diaphragm. Out. One more time, in and out. Okay, you can be seated. Now, does anybody feel lightheaded? Nobody. That's pretty good. Maybe you're maybe you're already used to getting good amounts of oxygen. Generally, in any given crowd, we have some people who just feel lightheaded because they're not used to getting so much oxygen to the brain. And the reality is this: you say, "Well, why are you making those strange noises?" All the only reason is is to get you to l learn how to do it slowly. That's it. Just to learn how to. Because what happens is, what you don't notice is that when you're tempted, when you're stressed and you're tempted to get angry or to look at something bad or to say something mean, what you don't notice is that your heart rate begins to escalate. It begins to increase, and your blood pressure increases and you begin to shallow breathe. You don't, you don't think, my blood pressure is going up. I am now shallow breathing. You don't think about that, but that is actually what's happening. Like, and so you, what, what can happen is you can force your blood pressure back down. You can force your uh, shallow breathing, because what happens when you get shallow breathing, uh, you're not getting adequate oxygen to the brain and the bodily organs, so what do you feel? You feel more stressed. So if you begin to force the body back into natural breathing mode, you begin to calm down. The blood pressure goes down, the heart rate goes down, and the oxygen levels increase in the body. And so you begin to calm down and be back to what you should be. And like I said, you can read about a mind, character, and personality. Very, very important. And it's, it's just extremely important that when you're tempted to notice, that's what's happening. And so you need to say a prayer, claim a Bible verse, and make sure you're not going, <laughs> you know, and you can actually choose to calm down. And so, you know, you think about it. All you have to do, like if you're at work and your boss is mean to you or your mom is mean to you or your husband's mean to you, all you have to do is you can just look at them and go, <laughs> right? And it'll fix your problem. Now, obviously, that's not, the, remember, the noise is just to help you learn to, you know, you can do that alone in your bedroom or something like that, but that's just to teach you to how to slowly breathe. And we want to get in the habit of deep breathing all the time. And this has nothing to do with, you know, karma or new age. It's, you know, mind, character, personality. Read about yourself. Very, very important to give it a try. We're going to rush through some things, finish up, and then we'll take a break. Uh, does, does anyone have anything to give up now? You don't have to tell us. You don't have to raise your hand. We have people sometimes give, like, uh, one fellow was a meth addict, and he gave us, like, his meth pipe. And we don't want to bring a meth pipe home and get stopped by the cops on the way home and get caught with that. So we smash it, you know, and try to get rid of the thing as soon as possible. But meaning sometimes people can't get it up like there's cigarettes and they think, man, if I, one guy, you know, threw it in the garbage can and another guy threw, saw him throw in the garbage can. And so he actually went and grabbed them and threw them somewhere else. And the other guy who threw them away, he went to go look for them a little while later. Like, oh man, I should just have another cigarette, you know? And so sometimes you need to give them away to somebody else so they can get rid of them. So they're not a temptation to you. So uh, in, in this seminar, we never use a word that starts with F and it is the word word failure. Never use the word failure. A quick reason is that Thomas Edison made a great point. He, he made all kinds of different inventions. We normally think of him for the light bulb. He made all kinds of things. He might have been the guy who made the first moving pictures, but he said, I know 999 ways not to make a light bulb, meaning he tried over and over and he failed and he failed and he failed seemingly, but did he consider it failure? No, because each time he could learn from the mistake, right? In the same way, sometimes we stumble, sometimes we fall, and we want to just give up, and we say, oh, I can never do it. But the reality is, is that if we learn from our mistakes, we can grow from them. We're actually told that. In the Spirit of Prophecy, we are told that if we regard our failings and our fallings, that those aren't the exact words she used, she says, but the, she says specifically, if we regard them as beacons of warning, beacons of warning that meaning so I stumble here and the next time when I'm getting close to that area I see it like a like a lighthouse and it's a reminder oh that was the situation that I fell in so we don't meaning we don't have to become discouraged and despondent sure we can feel guilt and we can confess our sins but then we put them away and we find peace with the Lord and the next time we come into that situation it's like a beacon of warning it's like a lighthouse uh oh that's where I stumbled last time Lord give me strength this time and we can learn from that, that mistake. We can learn from that rather than it be an ultimate failure. And Proverbs 24, 16 says, For a just man falls seven times. But what does he always do? 
he rises up again, but the wicked fall into mischief. The difference between the righteous and the wicked is that the righteous and the wicked both fall at times, but the righteous always gets back up again. The wicked chooses to just stay down. And the devil tries to get you to stay down, but Jesus always wants you to pick you back up and to get you back in the path. And Philippians 4.13, say it with me. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. He's the one who gives us the victory. And there's two ways to look at overcoming. One with fear and one with joy, knowing that God must have a plan for your life. And he does. He is the one who can give the victory. You know, I'm not going to go into all this. We're going we're to talk about some uh, lifestyle changes that help you overcome. Seven ways to strengthen the frontal lobe and the will and how to truly forgive and move on in life. And I won't always talk so fast, but I just want to quickly finish this one up. So let's close with a quick prayer so we can take a break. Father, I pray that your divine blessing would be with us. I pray that you would help us to walk in your path, recognizing it's not just some uh, physical gimmicks or some, you know, even eating right that makes us victorious. It is your divine strength. You've given us these things of breathing and eating and all these things and water drinking to make it easier on the path. But it is not these things in and of themselves that give us victory. But it is your divine strength, your Holy Spirit, and your changing power on our hearts that gives us the ultimate victory and changes us on the inside so that we are not just, uh, you know, walking moralists, but rather we are changed people from the inside. We pray that you would draw us near to you. Bless us in a break. In Jesus' name, amen.